The following Future Conceive podcast is sponsored by the Virtual Education Committee of the Society for the Study of Reproduction, with the mission to develop virtual programs that will aid in the education, highlighting the careers of society members, bringing technology updates, and the latest scientific advancements in reproductive biology. Thank you for listening. Jody Flaws, I'm very excited to have you with me and congratulations again for being awarded the SSR Research Award for 2023. Thank you so much, Joni. I'm really excited to be here and I'm really, really honored to have won that research award. All right, so I have a bunch of questions for you, so I'm going to get started right away. So the first one I have is, why did you decide to become a reproductive biologist? So when I was an undergrad, I was never exposed to reproductive biology, and I thought at that time that I wanted to be a physician. And when I was close to graduating undergrad, I realized that's not what I wanted to do. And my undergrad advisor suggested that I do a master's degree to see if I really liked research. And when I joined the master's program and did rotations through people's labs, the lab that I liked the most was Diane Suter's lab. And she happened to be a reproductive biologist. And I just really fell in love with reproductive biology when I was a first year master's student. Wow, that's fantastic. Where was that? At Loyola University of Chicago. So I was in a traditional department of biology where they literally had like a reproductive biologist, an ecologist, a physiologist. And I just happened to pick that lab and really, really loved it. Awesome. All right. The next question is, how long have you been a member of SSR? Since 1987. So when I was a brand new baby uh, master's student, Diane had me join SSR. It's one of the first things that she had me do when I joined her lab. And now when students join my lab, it's one of the first things I have them do is join SSR. Perfect. Great. And what are some of your favorite memories from SSR annual meetings or otherwise? Oh, so many. So I would say meeting experts in the field, presenting my first poster. That was really exciting. Presenting my first talk. And now it's really watching my trainees have the opportunity to meet experts in the field and present their work and seeing how they progress and learn so much from the meeting. And then I would be remiss if I didn't admit that the SSR dance is one of my favorite events at the meeting. (laughs) Yeah, it's just not SSR without Jody Flaws on the dance floor. (laughs) (laughs) Or Joni Jorgens. (laughs) Um, The next question I ask, could, could you share some thoughts about what you think makes a good leader? So for me, when I think about the role models I've had or the people that I think are good leaders, I feel like it's communication, being organized, being compassionate, really listening to people and leading by example. I feel like if you expect people in your lab or in your group to do something, it should be something that you're willing to do as well. And I think um, just really treating people too as nice as you can and treating them as individuals and realizing everybody's different and has different needs and different wants. 
Yeah, that sounds that sounds really good and helpful. And then the next one, especially given this research award, what are some of the most proud things you are, um, things that you're proud of from your career? So hands down, my trainees. I think that is what drew me to academia. And I love watching young scientists learn and grow and discover new things. And I know the award was for my research, but Honestly, it's the people, the students in my lab that are the ones conducting the research and really contributing. So I would say that I'm, I'm most proud of my trainees. That's fantastic. And then how did you establish your research trajectory, especially given your expertise in reproductive toxicology? So when I was finishing my master's degree at in Diane's lab at Loyola, I knew then that I really wanted to be a professor and have my own lab and be doing research in an R1 institution. And I really fell in love with the ovary, even though in Diane's lab, I was working on the pituitary. And so I knew I wanted to do ovarian research. And so when I, when I finished my master's, I joined Dr. Pat Boyer's lab at University of Arizona to get a PhD in physiology focusing on ovarian physiology. And when I got there, Pat had just gotten a grant with a colleague who's a toxicologist named Glenn Sides. And Pat said to me, I know you came just to work on ovarian physiology, but I've got this new project. And if you're willing to also major in toxicology and work on reproductive toxicology, it would be a great project and it will be a great opportunity. And what she said to me was that by picking up toxicology, I would be more marketable on the, the job market because I could work in academia, I could work in government, I could work in industry, I could work in toxicology departments, physiology departments. And so I said yes. And that's really the first time I heard of toxicology. And I didn't know this at the time. I didn't go to Arizona for toxicology, but they happened to have one of the strongest pharmacology toxicology programs there. And so I had opportunity to take great classes, interact with great toxicology faculty and started on my ovarian toxicology project and from there just never looked back. I really liked that toxicology has opened so many different doors but also because it's kind of a combination of a, a basic science and applied science and I, I feel like I like that aspect of it. So then I just kept working in it, studying different chemicals, learning different things, um, having new collaborators. Yeah, because what I've really enjoyed about, um, you know, following your trajectory is thinking about you've used, you know, rodent models, but then you've also had a lot of translational research with, especially from what I remember, women in, um, in sort of occupations that might expose them to more uh, toxin, toxicants. And so I think it's been really interesting to kind of watch how that progress has been made and um, really helping us understand better how to treat ourselves better too, especially in that in that world where those women work. Yeah, no, thank you. One thing I really like about the field is I feel like um, 
it, it does help at a, at a bigger level, not, not my research per se, but this concept of really paying attention to what's in the environment and what might be toxic and providing data that people who do things like regulation or policy making can then take a look at and decide whether to incorporate some of the data from the field into decisions they make to protect people, animals, and the environment. Yeah, that's super powerful. Um, yeah, so kind of uh, switch gears a little bit. What is your mentoring philosophy? I mean, you've mentioned your trainees a bunch of times and they're all so well prepared when I see them at meetings. And so I'd love to know more about your mentoring philosophy. So I've been thinking about this and I feel like tailoring the mentoring to each student and realizing that each student has different skills and different limitations and trying to figure out what those are and helping them really build the skills and help them work on the limitations and making sure to communicate with them regularly so we always have regular meetings i meet with everybody in my lab in a group meeting once a week but then individually with people um, once a week every week and making sure to help set goals and deadlines and expectations. But I think more important than that is to treat people well and kindness and to treat them, I want to say like family, but maybe even better than family <laughs> and realize that um, these are trainees that are putting their trust in us to mentor them and help them get to the next stage of their career. So it's a tremendous responsibility. So I feel like it's not something I take lightly. I'm really honored by it. And I want to do everything I can to help them get to where they want to go. Recognizing that because I chose this job doesn't mean this job is for everybody. So realizing that trainees have different career goals and aspirations and helping them figure out what those are and then helping them get the skills they need to reach that goal. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because I know you have several trainees that are now at SSR as faculty members too. Yeah. Um, but I know also many have gone on to um, various fields. So getting them ready for whatever might be out there. So that's exciting. Yeah, and one of the things that's a beauty of toxicology is the field has for as long as I've known, been open to uh, different careers. And so about a third of people in my field will go into industry, about a third into government, and about a third into academia. And I think that's been the case for my trainees too. And so trying to help them navigate and figure out what their skill set best meets is a really important job. Yeah. All right, the last thing I have is What's one piece of advice you'd give to your trainees or maybe your 20-year-old self? <laughs> I think maybe first and foremost, do what you love, mm. but then don't be afraid of change and don't give up, um, especially in science. I think that it's a fantastic field, but there is a lot of rejections. You're going to have papers rejected, grants rejected, jobs you won't get, policies that you make that don't get implemented. But I think you just have to stay the course and don't give up and recognize that everybody has these kind of things happen to them and that it's not a personal failure. It's just part of the career. 
Excellent advice. I'm taking that one home. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, Dr. Flaws. It's so wonderful to chat with you, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming out of your lab next. Oh, thank you so much for doing this, Dr. Jorgensen, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming out of, of your lab next. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. This music is produced by Buck Hills and the Peripel.